Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. Well, if you've been following this series of messages for Advent and Christmas that we've been posting over the last few weeks, then you know it's all about the proclamations that are found in Scripture. Proclamations that tell us so much, not only about the story of Christmas, but also its impact on our lives and living, yours and mine. We've been hearing proclamations from God, from Jesus, and from the angels. But today we wrap up that series with the story of a proclamation from one of God's people, Old Simeon. It's a message drawn from the second chapter of Luke, verses 22 through 40, as well as Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And it's a message entitled, Let Your Servant Depart in Peace. Well, it's interesting, you know, that no one ever wrote a poem or a holiday song that begins with the words, "'Twas the day after Christmas." And you know what? I've long thought that that's too bad. In fact, I've often thought, I ought to compose. It was a minister that composed Twas the Night Before Christmas, after all. Maybe I should uh, get creative about that. Well, it really is too bad that we don't have a poem like that because in a way, these days that immediately follow Christmas are as atmospheric as what comes before, just in a different way. For one thing, for the most part, I know this is kind of, we're still in the weekend and things are still a little busy, but for the most part, the house is quiet. Folks are sleeping soundly. After all, children may still be rising early to play with new Christmas toys or to, or to get together with cousins and friends and so on, but at least it isn't happening at 4 o'clock in the morning. All the anticipation that's been leading up to December 25th has given way to afterglow. Stonking, uh, stockings hanging empty on the mantle. The dried up tree, if you have a real one, stands naked in the corner. All the brightly wrapped gifts that were piled beneath it are now scattered about the house. The, the wrapping paper bagged up and out it with the trash. And while there will be, as I said before, a few post-holiday get-togethers yet to come, a few belated Christmas cards will arrive in the mail, and, and there will be leftover food, maybe some turkey in the fridge. Already, already, alas, there are clear signs, even this morning, that life is going back to normal. And all that's left of this particular Christmas are the memories. You know, still, though, if you're like me, you're asking, uh, it doesn't have to be over, does it? After all, it's only one day after Christmas. The, the day is barely done. And there's a whole week of Christmas vacation left. Hey, folks, on the Christian calendar, we've, we're already and only on the second day of the 12 days of Christmas. And today's the day for giving two turtle doves, which you notice focused in our reading today. But if you are getting your true love, all that stuff from the 12 days of Christmas, I would suggest you get to Petco straight away. <laughs> Just saying. So I don't know about you, all this to say, but I'm not quite ready to give up on the season quite yet. 
Surely there's a little bit more spirit to savor. Few more moments to linger at the manger before we've got to move on. Isn't there a way for us to glean just a little bit more meaning from Christmas 2021? Well, I'm here this morning to tell you that I think that there is. But interestingly enough, it comes in leaving the manger behind. And that's because for you and I as Christians, Christmas is not the place where the journey ends, but in fact, where it truly begins. Admittedly, it's easy to forget that. Given that our thoughts during Christmas are always so focused on what is often referred to as the Holy Family, Mary, Joseph, and the Christ child. And, and, and because we all not only focus on them, but also the supporting cast of angels and shepherds and wise men. That's the story that we tell on Christmas Eve. And traditionally, we end that story in Matthew at the point where the wise men have left their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and then choose, as it's written there, to go home by another way, which is fine, except that the story doesn't actually end there. In fact, it is right at that point where the story just gets going. We, we read just a little bit of that Friday night. The part of the story with the angel appearing to Joseph and telling him to flee with his family to Egypt, with Herod calling for all the young children in and around Bethlehem to be killed. A tragic piece of, of biblical history that's accurately referred to as the slaughter of the innocents. Now, I do realize that this is pretty heavy stuff for Christmas Eve, and that's why we stop it at a certain point that night. But it does point up the fact, does it not, of how much more there is of this story of the nativity than what we usually like to think about. And for Christmas to have any real and lasting meaning, we need to acknowledge that. You and I, we need to go where the story inevitably goes. The problem with this, of course, is that Scripture only gives us scant information about events that follow Jesus' birth. Aside from this fact that he was living in exile with Mary and Joseph in Egypt, and of course that we have that wonderful story from Luke about Jesus being found by his parents in the temple, the truth is we really know very little about Jesus as a young boy. But we do, thanks to our gospel reading for this morning, get a sense of what is to come for Jesus, as well as what awaits the world in which he was born. And this comes in the response to Jesus' birth coming from two elderly denizens in the temple of Jerusalem. The first, as we mentioned early on, was Simeon, an old man fervent in prayer and wholly nourished in the teachings of Scripture. A man, Luke tells us, who was righteous and devout and who had spent his entire life in the spiritual hope that God would yet deal gently with Israel by sending the long-awaited Messiah. 
Basically, you can sum up the story of Simeon in one verse. As it is written there, he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. At a time in his life when Simeon might have been content to dwell altogether in the past, Simeon, in fact, believed that the best was yet to be. And he was confident that a new and brighter day for Israel and for all of humanity was at hand. And so on that day, when he saw Mary and Joseph, who, by the way, who had brought the baby Jesus to Jerusalem to do for him what was customary under the law, that is, to have him dedicated as holy unto the Lord. When Simeon saw this, he immediately knew You know how sometimes you just have this feeling with every fiber of your being that what you're seeing is the real deal. It is everything that you've ever hoped for. Well, this is how it happened for Simeon. He immediately knew that at long last his hope was fulfilled. And this child, this little baby, was the Messiah. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to God's people Israel, Luke says. This was the culmination of everything that Simeon had been waiting for his entire life. So it's no surprise at all, really, that the very moment he took this child in his arms, Simeon was moved to offer a proclamation of his own. Now, I look through a lot of translations of Scripture for these particular verses, and they are actually translated in a variety of ways. But you know what? I think... I like what is in the King James Version of Scripture the best here. And maybe it's the one you grew up with. Maybe it's that that version of Scripture that really resonates with you. But it was this. He has this baby in his arms. He praises God and he says, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Or, if you prefer a more contemporary rendering, this is from the message, Lord, release me in peace as you promised. Because with my very own eyes, I have seen your salvation. It's now out in the open for everyone to see. Actually, I kind of like that one too. There's no question that Simeon's proclamation is one of unbridled joy, as well as it should have been. But it should also be pointed out that his proclamation is one grounded in reality, or, or more to the point, an approaching reality. We know this because of what Simeon says to Mary as part of his blessing unto the Holy Family. He says, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And if that wasn't, for lack of a better word, ominous enough, then he says this, and no doubt he looks square into the eyes, the wondering eyes of Mary, the pondering eyes of Mary, And he says it 
and a sword is going to pierce your own soul too. It's a powerful and telling moment, is it not? At a point where most parents are consumed with immediate worries where their child is concerned, you know, is everything okay? Do they have all their fingers and toes? Are we we're doing everything right? Here's old Simeon who knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows the destiny that awaits this child, Jesus. He knows by extension what's going to happen with Mary and Joseph, and who looks at the two of them and bluntly declares the joy of all of this as well as its inevitable heartbreak. That's old Simeon. And Luke's story actually goes on to tell of another resident of that temple, Anna, who is an elderly woman who every day and every night for as long as anybody could remember had worshipped at that temple with fasting and prayer. And when she encounters the Holy Family, she also immediately offers up her own proclamation. She begins praising God. She starts talking about this child to all who are looking for the redemption of Israel. Anna, you see, and Simeon along with her were people with a forward look, people in whom there burned a great hope. According to the Reverend William Quick of Duke Divinity School, these two were persons on tiptoe with a flame of freedom in their souls, the light of knowledge in their eyes, living in hope and expectation that a great day was coming when wrong would be righted, justice would be done, and God would reveal his arm and bring salvation to all mankind. All of this because the word became flesh in a baby born in Bethlehem. So friends, what we've got here in this continuation of the story in Luke is a true proclamation, an affirmation that Christ is born and that the Messiah has come. It's a proclamation of the people of God in the guise of, of Simeon and Anna. And that much, I think, is clear. But the real question in this proclamation is when we start to imagine what lay ahead. Of course, in one sense, we already do know what's to come because we know the gospel story. But think for a moment how full of promise and possibility was the future for Anna and for Simeon. And for that matter, think about how that applied to the shepherds, to the Magi who went home another way uh, for all of Israel, all because of this birth of this one little helpless special baby. For them, at that moment, if we put ourselves back in that place, we realize this was an incredible story that was yet to unfold. It was a journey that was just about to be shared with this child who, as Luke puts it, would grow. Of course he grew. And he would become strong. Of course he did. And he was filled with wisdom and with the favor of God upon him. And it would be a journey that would inevitably 
lead to the cross. That's the thing, you see. The the story of Christmas begins with the promise of light coming into darkness. And it comes to its climax with this child who is born in the stable and with angels singing in a starlit sky. But eventually, you see, it becomes the story of God's own son growing and becoming stronger and bringing redemption and healing to the world. It's about the poor having good news brought to them. It's about the kingdom of God bursting forth into life and living. And yes, it is going to be about a night of betrayal and desertion leading to the greatest sacrifice of love that the world will and would ever know. The point is that Christmas is about Jesus. He is, as we like to say, the reason for the season. But more than even that, Christmas is about following Jesus. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we're going to have to go where Jesus goes. We are going to have to make that journey with them all as Jesus grows. And as he grows, we're going to have to grow. We're going to have to go with him, and we're going to have to do what Jesus does. Maybe you remember a movie from several years back now, a movie entitled Pay It Forward. Remember that? If you haven't seen it, Recommended highly. It's a, a movie about a boy who has this plan, school assignment actually, a plan to change the world. Basically stated the plan was that each person should do three good deeds for other people without any expectation of reward or repayment for that act. The only requirement would be for those people who receive the kindnesses should in turn do the same for others, thus paying it forward. Now this film depicts in a very rich way how goodness and love grows exponentially when one responds to the blessings they've received by offering up blessings to others. And you know what? Although I am absolutely sure the film never intended to make the movie a biblical parable, Nonetheless, it does work that way. It much describes the way we are called to continue Christmas into the new year by making its true meaning last in and through our lives and living. And don't misunderstand me here. Whereas joy and singing and gifts and food and celebration are never a bad thing in any given season of the year, and I think this year As with last, it serves, I think, as a wonderful respite from everything else going on. We are not talking here about doing Christmas over and over again as we do it every December. We're not talking Groundhog Day here. But what we are talking about is embracing the spirit of Christmas and the ways of Christ in our lives and living as our gift to one another in the world. As Paul exhorts to the Colossians in the epistle that we read this morning, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another. 
And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. And above all, clothe yourselves with love. And of course, Paul is quick to add, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Ultimately, beloved, the best way we can keep Christmas throughout the year is to model ourselves after the man that the baby Jesus became, to pay it forward by seeking to embody what God himself came to earth to show us in love and righteousness. You know what, folks, is I have to tell you that as much as I love Christmas, I, I think I really kind of enjoy these days after Christmas almost as much. For one thing, and I think you'll understand this, that for a pastor and pastor's family, the pressure is off just a little bit. And at least this one busy season in the church is behind us. Truly, Lisa and I cherish any opportunity we have to be with our family, and that's happened for us this weekend, that we get to spend time with them in the afterglow of Christmas. But I also have to tell you that even more than that, I love Christmas Tide. I like to call it that, Christmas Tide, because it really is an opportunity to renew ourselves for faith and action in the new year. How fitting it is that it comes in the last week of an old year and the very beginning of a new one. At a time when there's palpable sense that things are brand new, full of possibility, that the future is wide open before us. So that Christmas, true Christmas, can last throughout the year. It is true, you see, what the poet Howard Thurman has written words I'm sure you have heard, words that I think are amongst the most powerfully written about what we're doing right now. He wrote, when the songs of the angels is silent, when the star of the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes go home, when the shepherds are again tending their sheep, when the manger is darkened and still, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to rebuild the nation, to bring peace among people, to befriend the lonely, to release the prisoner, to make music in the heart. May each one of us Make music in the heart with our very lives. May we be about the work of Christmas today. And may we be focused on paying it forward into the new year. And as we do, may our thanks be unto God. And may God rest you merry, gentlefolk. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Let Your Servant Depart in Peace, which concludes this year's Advent and Christmas Sermon series that we're calling Proclamations. 
It was recorded during our December the 26th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. And by the way, as we make our way now into a new year, we'd like to invite you in 2022 to our live in-person services of worship at East Church, which happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road in Concord. Or else you can join us online for these services via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Either way, we'd love it if you could be with us in the new year. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening, not only today, but all throughout this past year. And until next time, stay safe, be well, Happy New Year, and may God bless you in that new year with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.